Hello and welcome to season four, episode five of Duelist Community. I am becoming more and more in awe of synchronicities that I'm noticing the more I am able to let go of the desire to notice all the synchronicities because it's becoming more and more clear that they're always around me. And the more I let go of trying to get anywhere or be anything else or say anything differently than even what I'm saying right now, more clear and, and recognizable those synchronicities are becoming. And I am drifting in and out of the recognition that I am drifting in and out of recognition. And that, that journey doesn't have to be nearly as difficult as I have believed it to be, so long as I recognize that it's just about recognizing recognition. So just relax and let it happen because you are recognition, you are insight, you are awareness. And so it's in your nature to surpass your limitations. It's in your nature to disprove the concepts that you attach to. So just relax. It's already happening. The world is already changing because you are already changing. On that note, I want to make a few announcements before we get started with today's incredibly exciting guest. I'm very stoked about this conversation. The first announcement, of course, is that we have the second Dualistic Unity Retreat coming up April 1st to April 9th. This is going to be on Vancouver Island in Canada. It's going to be an epic, epic event. And I want to say very quickly, because we are already in the process of planning and finalizing the retreat details for next November, which will be in the Netherlands. That retreat looks like it's going to be larger. It's going to be at a larger venue. It's going to have more people. So while the ticket prices will be a little lower because we are able to accommodate more people that way, it won't be the same intimate event that we've been having here on Vancouver Island. There will be a difference in tone. It's still going to be amazing. It's still going to be a lot of fun, but there will be more people there, which means there will be larger group conversations. There won't necessarily be the same amount of free space or the same amount of privacy or the same amount of quiet. So I just want to mention that very quickly. We're stoked about this event. We're very excited to get all the details out to everybody. But if you're looking for an opportunity for a more quiet environment, I definitely recommend the April retreat. That's going to be the best place for you. That said, Time to move on with the episode. Today, we're actually joined by one of our longest community members, a dear friend of ours. Uh, she came to the retreat, of course, and was supportive throughout that entire experience. We always learn so much from her. She is actually one of our moderators on the Dualistic Unity Community Discord. She is always in the Patreon groups. She's actually part of the Dualistic Unity administrative team now that that is starting to be formed. So she is in the inner circle, if there is such a thing as the inner circle in terms of what we're doing on our end and expanding into the future and scaling this out and really just being there for everybody in the community. Amanda is not only talented in terms of organization and being on the ball, but she's just full of heart. And so she often reminds us what it is that we're doing in terms of focusing on the empathy, not just on the high-minded concepts. And so that all said, Amanda, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and maybe what led you to the community before you settled in with us bunch of crazy people? <laughs> well, I'm honored to join such a lovely group of crazy individuals. 
um, and I'm so honored by a beautiful introduction. Thank you so much. It has been um, quite the journey and very spontaneous if, from my perspective, uh, just because, so my name, you know, of course, is Amanda. I'm 31 years old. I live in the U.S., have worked in the corporate environment for almost all of my adult years and probably even a few teenage years. Um, so I'm very used to structure and following the rules and protocols and saying the right thing at the right time and being strategic and always having the right answer and saying, I don't know, was, you know, unacceptable at one point. And so the way that I found my way to dualistic unity was um, a little bit of resistance. Uh, I found Ray's TikTok after being suggested to go onto TikTok by my best friend of like 15 years. And she's telling me like, oh, TikTok is great. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just another fucking, it's just another medium of shit. You know, like I could live without it. And I resisted. And then I finally joined TikTok. And then like within a week, I found Ray's TikTok. And then it led me to Andrew's TikTok. And then that led me to the dualistic unity, which led me to Discord. And so I was just a little shit, you know, in the beginning. And <laughs> I was like, I know better. I know I don't need TikTok. It's just, it's just, you're getting caught up in the hype and I'm not, you know, and, but it, it, but finally giving into that suggestion led me to discord. And so I'm so glad that I got over myself and I was willing to go down a path that I specifically said wasn't in alignment with my higher self and all that other good stuff. So I'm, I'm really glad it, it, it just, it, it's a really nice surprise. That's amazing. Yeah, it's fascinating. It's becoming more and more fascinating to me how often our resistance and our idea of the way we should be doing things gets in the way of the things inevitably happening anyway. And this has been like, this has been kind of not that we have themes ever, but like the last week or so, just been digging into this recognition that we're never not in the flow of things and it's just our opinion of whether we're not or our opinion of how we think our life should be going that disallows us from being the flow itself but at the same time we're always it so you can't even not be the flow and so i'm sure you know in your life as with everyone we're constantly kind of relaxing into the flow and letting go of the resistance of the way we think things should be happening to us versus continuing to to push up against that until it's like an inevitable sort of release and so this is like something i'm constantly going through and i'm sure all of society is is sort of constantly going through and so i guess just i would love to hear because i you know as we we know you pretty well now. We've interacted with you at the retreat, talked to you a number of times, and I, I have been able to talk with you a little bit about more of even pre getting to TikTok to Ray to me to Discord and all of that. Like I know there's quite the story leading up to that, and so I guess along the theme of seeing that things are always happening perfectly despite our opinion of the way we perceive them to be happening at the time i would love to hear a little bit more about some of the experiences that you've had where in the moment they did seem like they were the worst thing that could possibly happen and then ended up leading you down a sort of 
direction that kind of opened up your mind or, or like allowed you to let go of the idea that you were holding onto of that, like that idea of yourself and allowed you to sort of release it through. I know with a lot of people, it's, it's more traumatic, extreme experiences. So I'd love to hear if any that you've been through that have allowed you to sort of see things a little bit differently or let go of that idea that you had been previously holding on to. The first one that pops up is probably the oldest and biggest. Um, and it's certainly in one way I labeled it as traumatic. Um, and in another way, it's like the greatest gift ever. Um, but I didn't feel that way at the time. So we'll go back to, um, I'm 11 years old. Uh, I just, I'm playing with a bunch of kids at a family friend's apartment. The family friend is a older single woman. And then I come out of the kitchen and find my dad is playing with her in a way that I'm not playing with her kids. And I'm old enough to know that that is inappropriate. And so that's supposed to be just my mom. And he gets shook and he rushes us home, drops me off, leaves. I tell my mom, I tell my brother, and then he must have, she must have called him because then he comes home and he tells me like, I can't believe you did that, Amanda. You know, I can't believe that you broke my trust. I can't believe that you told your mother, you know, you're the reason why the family's going to break up. You're the reason why we're going to get a divorce. And, you know, I can't believe that you betrayed me. And I believed him as much as I want to say, like, I, I knew that what he was saying was full of shit. You know, I really believed that I was a bad daughter and I thought that I betrayed his trust, even though in the moment it felt like the right thing to do. And, you know, it was the right thing to do was not hold on to his secret, but I didn't know that, you know, his expectation was for me to choose him over my mother. And I just chose what felt right because it just, it felt wrong to see it. And the way that he acted, I knew that he felt like he was in trouble. So it was like, excuse me, you know, but I, I couldn't say anything. I cried. I was heartbroken because this was the first relationship that I had with a guy, with a man, you know, my dad, I used to worship him. I used to, he'd be mowing the lawn and I would follow him with like the little tiny shopping cart, like a little tail, you know, just following him, whatever he would do, wherever he would go. I thought it was the best thing. And then when he did that, when he said those words to me, it really impacted how I felt about relationships as a whole. And so out of survival instinct, I went in and I decided that, you know, I was weak and I was stupid for allowing myself to be that vulnerable with someone, even a family member, because if they can do that to you and walk away with little to no remorse, then I felt like the stupid one. And so for the rest of my teenage years, I didn't date. I had crushes on boys, but I, I was like, there's no way that I'm going to trust anyone. Um, and so... I became very intellectual, focused on my brain, focused on being strong, focused on being tough and not needing anyone, not asking for anything. And it, and it made me incredibly determined. It made me incredibly successful in the academic and, and then soon to be professional environments. And I got a lot of good, not good, but I got a lot of um, pleasant feeling feedback from everyone. I got told by teachers, you're so smart, Amanda, you're so brilliant, you know, you're going to go far, you're going to go so many places from family, it was, you know, you're so smart, and, you know, stay away from the boys, and you're on the right track, Amanda, they're nothing but trouble. And so they were just confirming my already fearful theories, and then giving me feedback to stay focused on where I was focused. And so I didn't end up really trusting anyone until I was 20. And I, I, I don't even know why I decided 
then it was okay to date, but I guess I felt like I was the adult and finally I can gauge whether someone is manipulating me or whether someone actually wants to be romantically linked with me, whether they're worthy of trust. And it worked out until it didn't because, you know, I, I walked into that relationship with a lot of baggage and I didn't realize that that was baggage because I buried it so well or not so well, but I just buried it so deeply and focused on so many other things. And I built my community resume, one could say. I was, you know, going to school. I was getting degrees. I was getting scholarships. I was getting grants. I was getting these great jobs. I was working. I was making money. I was partying. I was traveling the country. I was, I was living what I thought was my best life. And it was incomplete. And I wasn't ready to admit it was incomplete for a number of years. And even when I was ready to like let someone in, it was always conditional. I could only let them in if they, if they met my extremely heartbreakingly low standards. Don't cheat on me. Don't leave me. And don't hit me. Right. And I could almost do everything else myself. I could make my own money. I could get my own opportunities. I could succeed in school. I could, I could succeed at work, but I couldn't be the other person who loved me. I couldn't be the other person who was there for me in that context. And so I was like, fuck, I need it. And so I, I would only accept it if it was given on a very tight line, you know, and, and the minute that anyone gave me any reason to think that they were going to leave, I would leave first. If they were going to uh, cheat, I didn't cheat, but I would always just say, you know, um, if you want to go, you can go because I can live without you. And I would say that in relationships because I was trying to prove like how strong I was and how much I didn't need from anyone. And I think that by saying that I didn't need anyone, I was actively pushing people away. So even when I was trying to pursue relationships, I was doing everything to make them not be successful and then kind of proving the oldest theory that I had, which was that I was not worth staying for, not worth committing to, not worth any of these things. And so I was a self-perpetuating prophecy in such a negative light. And I just, I just wasn't ready to face all those old feelings because I believed them. As much as I had grown up and been successful and gotten the gold stars to put on my chart, you know, I still believed that I was that little girl who, was, who, was, who deserved everything that happened on that night. And it took a long time to get to that place where we were ready to talk about all those feelings and admit that, you know, we did what we thought was best and the way that it was received wasn't our fault. And, and honestly, we're better, we're better off. We're better off without toxic people who only want you when they can control you, who only want to stay when they're having you sacrifice everything that you are as the price. And so I finally came to terms. I came to peace with the fact that, you know, I'm an orphan by choice with my father. He's alive and well and living in another state and married to the woman he cheated on my mom with and tried to start another life. And he's not losing any sleep over it. And he doesn't have to, but I finally stopped waiting for him to come back, you know, and, and I finally came to terms with the fact that I did nothing wrong and that I've always been, quote unquote, a good daughter, a good friend, a good sister, a good partner who is worth loving, who is worth staying for, who is worth all of it. But I had to think of that. I had to get there first before I could even think about asking anyone, family or not, to prove that to me. I just had to know it without proof. You know, I had to have my own kind of self-faith. And so staying away from relationships was something that I thought was necessary. And it gave me a lot of great skills. And I'm glad I took my time because now when I enter into other 
connections or relationships or partnerships of all contexts. I come from a place of curiosity, you know, curious to see like, how's this going to work out and without any requirements. And that's been challenging because I always thought I had to be, I had to be tough to get respect. And it's like, it's not even about respect. It's just about, you know, being willing to be vulnerable because vulnerability is not a weakness. It's a beautiful thing. It, and it's uncertain and it's fucked and it's, you know, it's like messy and it's uncontrollable. And it's like, it's like trying to, <laughs> I feel like I'm surfing lava sometimes. I'm like, oh shit, we can't fall off this. We can't fall because we're going to go into oblivion. And it's like, even when we fall, we're like, okay, we survived that. So that wasn't so bad. It's, it's not so bad. It's worth it. It's, it's just worth all of it. And it's, it's, it's a, it's a nice dance to finally be dancing again. Absolutely. Absolutely. And what's nice is that you can help change part of the trouble in the environment that, that you've grown up within, that I've grown up within, that Andrew's grown up within, which is that we do have to get to a point where we tell people like, I don't need you because we recognize that so many of our relationships are based on need, not just from our perspective, but from their perspective as well. And what I find interesting is that the more you question yourself and you get out of that need mentality, the more you start to be your own friend, you, you are your own family, the more it's true that you don't need other people. But by that token, you're not afraid to jump in with them because there's no fear necessarily, because there's no need, there's no sense of lack. And I think our relationships would be built very differently because of that, even our relationships with our parents. I mean, admittedly, a lot of parents take their kids for granted because they figure, well, the kid needs me. Like, I just got to fulfill the role. I just got to make sure they, they eat and go to school and have a roof over their head. And then that's it. And it's not based on a relationship. It's not based on empathy. It's based on that self-definition de- self again, and all the pressure that goes with that. So it's, it's really, really complicated. But I wanted to say that I know since we've started talking to you, you've been such a big player in the group discussions on dualistic unity that through your own shedding of your, of your identity and your own shedding of your fears, you've been the family member that you and I both kind of wished we had grown up with, but for other people in the community, you've been that, that voice that, that just listens. You've been that shoulder to cry on. You've been that person that empathizes with these people and you have no obligation to do so. You have no reason to do so. Nobody's paying you to do this. Like you, you do it because you've been through it and because you can see the value in it. And I think that that's ultimately all we need. I mean, if more parents could see their inner child, they would parent their children differently. <laughs> right. And so yeah. I, I want to ask very quickly, Amanda, because again, you're a part of everything that we're doing on the dualistic unity side. How do you envision your involvement with dualistic unity going forward? Because we've talked about retreats. We've talked about the possibility of doing uh, a tour, some live events, maybe a music festival, things like that. We want to get uh, involved with community gardens. We want to start getting involved with uh, helping out some of the indigenous tribes. We want to help out with a number of things. And I know from my perspective, you're very much like I am in that you are um, like a Swiss army knife. If I just throw you into a situation, I say adapt and you will. Right. <laughs> and, and so I know what my vision is for the future loosely, of course, because it's not a goal. Um, but as for you, because I know this community means a lot to you and it does, I think because of, of how much growth you've gone through and how much 
again, that environment wasn't there for us. I'm just very curious as to um, what you would like to see moving forward with dualistic unity and your part in the community and everybody that's in it with us, of course, because it, it's just, it's a big family. I am, I'm thrilled. I'm so excited. Um, uh, I know that I used to hate my corporate experience and climbing up the ladder and dealing with the, the corporate office politics. And now I am, th- I'm like, I'm so, ex- I'm so happy that I went through all that because I, I feel like I can transfer all of that to dualistic unity. And um, in one way, I want to be like the corporate arm of dualistic unity just because I have that experience and it, and it just seems like, well, why not? And I have the, the capacity and the energy for it. And I'm so available and I'm so um, inspired and, and it's a work of love. And I've never been able to, pull, um, you know, pair my my work experience with a love of the work or a love of a cause and being and having it tied together. So this feels like so serendipitous. It feels absolutely like motherfucking stars have aligned for this shit to happen. And I'm like, yes, all that, all that bullshit, all those ass kissing moments, all those late nights and early mornings and weekends and all those, all that was fucking worth it. If it can finally go towards helping to create a space, I can't even say like create a world. It's just creating a space where people can feel like they can just breathe where they can just think about something different, something outside of the box where they're not pigeonholed into this, this or that black or white kind of um, framework. And, um, you know, definitely I would like to, you know, do the administrative stuff because that's, that's boring, but I've been doing it for so long that it almost feels second nature. It's almost automatic and I can do it so fast that I'm like, let, let me just bang this out for everybody. Let me do the, the paperwork and deal with the red tape that almost nobody wants to volunteer for. Let me do that portion. Um, because on, on my personal time, I, you know, or at least for fun, I, I still will sing and dance and draw and sculpt and cook and, and teach, you know, and those are the things I would love to contribute to the dualistic unity center or core, um, but ultimately, I do want to do something where I'm getting funding and grants for us because, you know, life is getting more expensive. Dreams feel like they're getting almost too expensive. And so um, I know how to navigate the system. Both I had to navigate it for college and then navigating it for grants for work. And then I process grant applications as a part of my job. So I'm literally on the other end of giving people money. So I think it, it, it just feels like so effortless to be able to do that for dualistic unity, I because I know that we need funds. And, and really before we get into the the smaller details of exactly what we're gonna do, how we're gonna do it, it's I think the question of how is it gonna get paid for and how is it gonna get it paid for through some kind of grant or some kind of um, private investors where it's not coming out of the pockets of the DU members because they already have enough costs on their table. And so I'm trying to create the space for them without it having to come at a financial expense. Now, if they have extra funds, great, that's fine. But I don't want it to be a necessary step to join the community, to experience the benefits of this space is that you have to pay to play. And I don't want that to be the case. And so I wanna do everything that I can to make it free because fuck man, 
having happiness, having purpose, having love and connection, it should absolutely be free. And the fact that you have to jump through so many hoops to get to it is a fucking crime or it's a tragedy. It's just, it's, it's, it's just unacceptable to me. And so I'm going to use all of my time, all of my skills, all of my experience to make it easier for other people to come behind me because I know how hard it is when, when it's just you and it's no longer just me. So we can do anything. Yeah. And that is right there, dear listener, why I was saying that as talented as Amanda is, it's her heart that comes through the most because that's exactly what drives me is the recognition that it doesn't have to be this fucking hard. It shouldn't have been this fucking hard. If there was people around us that were working through this stuff, or if, if, if there was some societal recognition that there's something that we can work through. And I say it shouldn't be this hard knowing that that doesn't mean anything either. It's not about shoulds, but we can change it moving forward. Whatever it was in the past doesn't matter. What we're doing moving forward is what matters. And so that's one of the reasons that I'm so grateful for your involvement. Amanda, and I'm so grateful for your intention in this because it's coming from the right place. It's coming from a, a place of empathy and clarity and love. And that's exactly what we want. Uh, I'm going to pass this to Andrew, but I also wanted to mention to the listener that if you can come to any of the retreats where Amanda is, has joined us, you're going to not only enjoy the conversation, but she has a fantastic singing voice. So you'll be joining us for karaoke as well. Yeah, no, your your voice is fucking beautiful, man. <laughs> Just wanted to reiterate that, but yeah, I, I see even just your story and the recognition that change happens now and it always has and always will and is happening right now. And our, our idea that it doesn't, or that it's on someone else or it's on something else, or it's not my responsibility to create this change keeps us locked in that mentality like hearing your story I, I i knew you've been through some serious situations in your life and hadn't heard the specifics yet but seeing those situations like there's been a, tons and tons of people who have gone through things like that who didn't come out the other end able to work through it and let it go and see kind of the light at the end of the tunnel and the opportunity to recognize that just because this is how it was for me and I went through this doesn't mean that it has to be this way for everyone else. And in your expression, it's like very clear that you've recognized that you don't have to keep holding on to what could have been the anger and mistrust for everyone because those responses would have been a completely valid response to those situations. Like they absolutely could have been, but they didn't have to be. And so I think that's how we're seeing reality. It's not that it shouldn't be this way, but it doesn't have to be this way. And so I, I get asked this question sometimes when I you know, post about more controversial stuff. It's like, why do you have to do it? Like, why, why, why do you have to be the one to do it? And it's like, who else? is there to do this yeah why not exactly like there <laughs> we can get deeper into this but there is no one else to change anything you know it always comes down to you and i think the more you're willing to shed all of the or not even shed but just not allow 
the story view to impact everything moving forward, the more you're able to allow for a space for other people to do that as well. And as you expressed moving forward with dualist unity and allowing for a space for people to let go, which happens through opening up, through being vulnerable, through relaxing into what they've always been and recognizing that there's never been anything wrong with them. That's how the change is made, just having these spaces. So I see it honestly as as our Patreon chats that are fucking blast. It's pretty much just that on a bigger and bigger scale as we go. And there's different avenues for those conversations to happen, those spaces to happen, whether it's in person, online, through an episode that people listen to, whatever it may be. But it's just broadening that space of myself being free in myself, which right now we have little uh, sections of it through Patreon, through these chats, through our free chats, whatever it may be. But that just expanding until I'm seeing like, you know, with my background (laughs) here of the world, it's like starting with this little, little spot here and literally just expanding to where it almost engulfs everything. And so I'm super fucking thrilled that you're on board with this (laughs) because you're going to be able to pave this way just about as well as anyone as that I could imagine and all of your expertise and everything you've been through being perfectly in line with where all of this is going is always trippy for me to see you know, <laughs> in my own life, but also in everyone else's life that I come across how it's always been happening perfectly. It's always been seamless. Now, here you are perfectly seamlessly appropriate to the exact <laughs> situation that we're in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I do want to change directions here very quickly because having you on the show, Amanda, and, and admittedly to anybody who's been on the Patreon groups, to anybody who's been in any of our Zoom discussions. So I just wanted to take a quick moment here to announce that we have our California mini retreat coming up on April 11th to April 15th. And it's going to be a blast. There's no agenda. There's no thing that you got to try to be or become. Just time to express yourself, time to be yourself, time to find out. What is it to be myself? Can I really just do that? Can I really just let go? Can I really just show up without any preparation whatsoever to every situation that I get into? With a bunch of people doing the same and a bunch of games to play as you do it. We're going to play some pool. We're going to go for a walk. We're going to shoot the breeze. We're going to hang out. It's the dopest sleepover that you could possibly go to. And you can join us and save $150 by using code BIGBEAR150 at dualisticunity.com. Just go to the California Mini Retreat details. You'll find it in the navigation bar. Enter the coupon code, and you can use this coupon code in addition to your already existing Patreon discount. Very much looking forward to seeing you there. It quickly becomes apparent that Dualistic Unity is more or less 75% female? Right now, and I, I find that to be so very interesting, and I was talking about this with Melissa, because we always look at term in terms of comfort and discomfort when we're talking about awareness and awakening, right? The more comfortable you are, typically the harder it is to have a reason to awaken, mm-hmm. right? Whereas societally, women have been uncomfortable for way longer 
than men. And I'm not going to say, and this is something that's also important to recognize, that while women took the longest to get the vote, admittedly, most men didn't have a vote either for a long time because it was rich people who voted. We often think it's like, oh, it's men versus women, but it's really not. It's men and women who are poor versus rich people. That's more or less the problem. But that all said, because I'm assuming because men were easier to manipulate to go to war and make do manual labor, they got enticed with the voting carrot first. Um, but later on, women got, had to fight for the same right, which unfortunately also worked against them to some degree because now they were kind of expected to have a job or, or you weren't you know, uh, an independent woman. I've, I've definitely had that argument uh, made like, oh, you're just a, a homemaker. It's like, dude, there's a lot of responsibility that goes in all that. Anyway, the point being that I think one of the reasons that so many women are a part of this conversation as it grows is because it's way more relevant to them because breaking out of those bonds, breaking out of those concepts that have been keeping them locked down and under expectation for so long has been such a detriment. It's been such a, a source of suffering that there's there is more discomfort to drive that will to change. So I'm curious about your perspective on that because I certainly don't want to generalize men and women by any means. And I'm not saying that men aren't also uncomfortable in waking up, but there are a lot of men that are very comfortable with the idea of being a man, the way society typically looks at it. And while they're still suffering, they almost have more distractions to kind of pad them through that. So I'm curious about your perspective, like more than anything else, what do you think was the driving force for you deciding enough's enough? Because you, you talked about what you went through as a child and you've talked to me about a few of the things you've gone through in your life. But as Andrew said, a lot of people go through that. That doesn't always spark that fuse. So I'm curious about your thoughts. Um, so I am from a, a Hispanic Puerto Rican household. Um, the Spanish community is very um, machismo, um, uh, patriarchal, very, very... Um, very much like men in control, but in, in like in an almost abusive context, like it's my way or the highway. And so growing up with that, um, it was exactly like that. My dad, it was his way or the highway. Um, anything could trigger him. And he would be very quick to throw things in your face because he was making the most money and paying for the most bills. The home was in his name. And so it was just structurally him at the top. And so I was very much used to that dynamic and it worked while I was daddy's little princess, but then shit hit the fan and it was me and my mom. And so we bonded and it was almost out of survival that um, we had to be the source of everything. And there wasn't any Prince Charming to come to rescue you. Um, and so that experience definitely drove me to never be in a position to be dependent on anyone again. Um, and then I was, I was, um, I was just gifted with a good memory, you know, you know, th those genes run in my family. And so learning was very easy. And so it was very easy to, to succeed in the, the public school environment, which was also not encouraging you to think differently or think for yourself. But for some reason, I was like, little and cute and persistent, and no one wanted to tell me no. And so that ended up working to my advantage. And so I ended up having a very unique public school experience where I would bring in new topics and it would be received well and I would get like special treatment, even though I was a woman. So typically I didn't really have um, a female 
a typical female experience in school. And so that gave me a window, gave me like a little wiggle room. And then I took that wiggle room all the way because I never wanted to depend on a man. I, I knew that men, I thought that no man could be trusted. And so um, it forced me to want to learn more and to use my brain like a shield and to learn everything as fast as possible and then to weaponize my intelligence because I was never the biggest, strongest, scariest or physically intimidating kind of person like most men are. So I almost had to play the like damsel in distress card every once in a while. Like, oh, I, I can't pick up this heavy box. What will I do? You know? <laughs> And so I would, I would play that card and I treated men like just another tool in my toolbox. I would use them as I would see fit. I would placate them. I would say, oh, you're so strong. Oh, God, what would I do? I'm so happy there are men around. You know, I would just placate their ego because I knew that I was playing a mental, I was playing mental warfare. And, and, and which is very typical, very stereotypical. They say that men use their bodies, women use their minds, but I used my mind in a way that was deliberate. And, um, I liked the fact that I was overlooked. I liked the fact that I was under, like undervalued. And I liked it because that, that made me feel like a ninja. I was like, I want you to not be afraid of me. I want you to not be knowing. Me. I want you to not see me coming. Not until the knife is right at your fucking jugular and I'm going to take you out. And then I want you to know it was me and so that's how I took it because it was either me or you it was very much a survival instinct um, because the system wasn't there to support me my family wasn't designed to support a single strong independent woman it was why aren't you dating boys Amanda uh, you know there are so many nice boys you know you got you're getting older you're getting older don't forget about that you know you only have so much time to have kids and I was like uh, I want money I want power I want titles I want prestige I want leverage I don't want fucking kids and, a, and another kid that is my husband and that's why I viewed it I just viewed it as baggage and just another barrier and so I did everything that I could to uh, to avoid falling into the the typical Puerto Rican lifestyle framework find a nice Spanish boy, have babies, be a good mother, be a good wife. And that should, that should fill your heart with purpose. And I was like, okay. So I stayed under the radar and just went to school and went to work and traveled and pretty much did whatever I wanted. But I, I always did it out of view of the family. I did it out of view of society. Like in the like, if I wanted to party and get drunk, I didn't get drunk in my hometown because there were always eyes watching. And so if I got drunk and I got hammered or I got crazy, I went to another city. I made sure that I was always thinking like a chess player, thinking nine, 10, 12 moves ahead. Who's watching? Who's there? Who could I bump into? And so life became like this exhausting planning and execution and everything it was just going through the motions and and i and i had so much fire because i i wanted to live i wanted to be happy i wanted to build the life that i thought that i deserved that i knew no one was going to give me and even if they gave it to me it was with strings it was with chains it was with mental expectations attachments requirements bullshit all bullshit to me and so i was like well if i'm going to suffer i'm going to put myself through the suffering and i'm going to get something out of it and i'm going to make sure that i get something out of it it's just that even when i got those things um it always felt, it always felt like I was waiting for the next shoe to fall. 
even when I got the promotions, even when I got the degrees, even when I graduated college debt free, and when I did it again, even when I did the things that I thought were impressive, it always felt like it was just trying to stick a square peg into a round hole. You know, I, I it just it felt like I was trying to fill the hole inside with things from the outside. And, uh, and one of those things was proving that like, I, I, you know, that it was okay to be a woman because I was going to do it in a way that didn't have such a high price. Cause I saw all my friends, all my family members doing the typical things and they were overworked. They were stressed out. They were getting, you know, taken advantage of by the men that they said were so great to be with. And, and I still wanted to, I still wanted a man for myself, but I, I just couldn't, I couldn't accept the arrangement that was being offered to me time and time and time again. And eventually people stop asking because I can be quite stubborn, which is great, which is useful, but it's own wall. And because I was so stubborn and like blinders, like tunnel vision, all I could see was with enough money, I could, I could either buy or force people to do what I wanted with enough power and titles and enough, enough of that. I, I would just, I would put myself in a position where it was just inevitable that I was going to get all the good things, all the good things that I was, that I was supposed to get much younger, but at a higher price. So being a woman has been quite an interesting experience because ultimately I never hated it. Like I never hated being a woman. I loved, I loved that I was, I loved being cute. I loved the response I got. I loved being small. I loved being able to just put my arm up and pretend for five seconds that I'm just like the weakest thing ever that I could have like five men walking up to be like, I'll save the day. Where do you need this box? I'll move it from here to there. It felt, it felt fantastic. I was like, that's right. I'm not breaking a sweat. You break that sweat for me. (laughs) So being a woman has, has felt, has both felt great and also felt like I was at a disadvantage, not because I was born with that disadvantage, but because people treated me like it was a disadvantage to to be a woman. And so it was, and it was good for the ego for me to prove people wrong. It was so, it felt so good to have them overlook me and then for me to crush them either by my achievements or by my resilience or by my unbotheredness that they could tell me, you know, um, I had a guy tell me a few years ago, like, I, I would hate to be a woman. And I'm like, why? I love it. I have people who stop their day to ask me how my day's going. I have people who open the door for me. I have people who offer to pay for my food, pay for my drinks, who want to learn about me, who who treat me like I have value. To be a man, you have to, at least with this framework that we have, you have to prove that you have value. Men don't, the way that we treat them is that they don't have inherent value. They have to come with money and power and respect for them to be considered valuable. I am treated like I'm just born with value because I can, I can be an incubator for life. So to always be treated like I had value to me never felt like a bad thing. And that's why I never wanted to become a man. I just moved like men where I was told I wasn't supposed to. And so I just did it anyways, because I was like, fuck you. You think everybody's playing by the rules? You think every fucking man that you encounter is doing the right thing and climbing that corporate ladder and being ethical? Fuck that. You're naive. They're playing with the one thing in mind, them at the top and their needs before everyone else's. And so I adopted that as much as I could without feeling like a traitor to my gender. You know, because I still made time for women. I, I developed long friendships with women. I made sure that I was talking to them about, let's go tutoring. Let's go work on our resumes. I'm going to this event. You want to come with me? And so I made sure to give other women opportunities to join me 
on my path to fuck the system by using the system's own rules. And it felt like the greatest FU I could give the system was to was to bend them over and then and do the same thing that they were doing to us with no mercy and no remorse. It felt like I was doing the most patriotic thing I could do. Yeah. All right. I loved it. I love it. I love the passion. <laughs> that last one, I, I love. I mean, we love bacon, you know, jokes like that. And I, I feel like we're opening up more and more to that. But yeah, fuck yeah. Bend that system over. I love to hear it. But uh, I, see, I see a lot of uh, symbolism in that whole story, too. And your shift now to where you're at of like, so, so what I was seeing in all of that is like a, a hardcore like raw responsibility but for so long in your life it being in relativity like perceiving yourself being responsible and not seeing yourself in anyone else so it's it always comes down to you in the same way that it would in recognizing that you're everything but through you know the idea of you and and even going back to you're talking about your dad and seeing getting closer with your mom and kind of recognizing very young that no one's there to save us. There is no man to save us. I see that as a very, very early recognition that there's no creator to meet. And so like being able to see that at su such a young age, it's like, we always have this, you know, father type figure in our life. And for many of many people, it's, it's, the God, the sky daddy type father. And, and you kind of had an experience of that in a more specific situation in, in your life when you were young, that kind of forced you into a state in which you take full responsibility for everything that you're going through, all of the situations that you're in, all of the things that you, you know, achieve your accomplishments, your failures, all of it all comes down to you. But when it's the idea of you, there's a, there's a lot of weight to that, right? Because it's always in comparison, in relative to all of the others that you perceive. But I see that letting go, that raw responsibility at such a young age being something that not a lot of people necessarily experience besides, I mean, I know Ray experienced a similar type of like raw, hardcore responsibility where it's like, there's no one else coming to save you. There's no one else to lean on, no one else to rely on, which can take you down a path of anger and frustration and resent for the world that you see as separate from you until it isn't anymore. And then it's like almost that flip of it's still that same responsibility but your perception of it is significantly different because you no longer see everything else as other and so going through that like i'm curious about that shift for you because i i know we've talked about this and obviously being involved in in dualist community like seeing that responsibility at such a young age and then kind of going through the path that you did do you remember or were there, you know, specific situations or, or shifts where, where that shift did begin to happen, where it's like not coming from a place of, I have to, you know, defend myself and, and have all of these walls up like that responsibility coming with all of these walls around you versus 
you know, the walls starting to come down. I'm curious if you know, there's a couple situations or, or some one more intense situation that you began to see that shift in perspective where it wasn't all relative to the idea of yourself. I definitely wa- spent uh, a bulk of my teenage years smoking pot, doing a little bit of drinking. Um, then that led to shrooms, led to some acid. Um, I That definitely helped force certain walls and certain perceptions to just like disappear and dissipate. And so I'm so glad that I was open to tripping on shrooms and liquid acid and paper acid because that definitely helped me unbury certain things because I, I was pretty successful. Like it, from 11 to probably like 22, I didn't really deal with anything emotional. It was all, I had, a, I had so many big distractions that I didn't really do any inner work until I was in my 20s. Um, I didn't do any self-harm and I just was smoking the weed because I was just so busy. And I am really glad that I had like 11 years where it was just so beautiful in the beginning because I could never shake that, that appreciation for the beauty of life. I was, I was always such a happy kid. I was always so excited to meet people. I loved people. I still love people, you know, but I was, I had such a fascination with others. I had such a fascination for life and for curiosity and for learning and for growing and for expanding. And I used to love books because books felt like portals into other dimensions. And I could be any gender. I could be any age. I could be any profession. I could be in any galaxy or any location, any time period. And so books always felt like they expanded the way that I perceived my day-to-day experience. And I, I, for some reason, never let that go. So even though I was burying the old wounds, um, I still had a connection to my, my love of life or my love of learning. And that definitely helped me want to learn more about myself through shrooms, through acid. Um, I remember being in electric forests um, about 10 years ago. And I had, I had, I had taken liquid acid and I had told the guy like, Oh, I don't feel it. And he's like, Oh, you don't feel it. So he fills the whole dropper and he fucking drops it into my mouth. So I have like a mouthful of liquid acid fucking game changer that night. If that was one night, who knows? I just, I just remember seeing like, I'm at a concert and I'm watching uh, Steve Aoki and he's fucking killing it. And then all of a sudden everybody is like a 30 year old baseball player and they're hitting home runs left and right. Everybody. And the crowd's going wild. And there's, there's just fucking home runs flying in every direction and people are fucking lit and it's just amazing. And then everyone's skin melts off and then there's nothing but skeletons walking and dancing. And then the skeletons disappear and then every Everything disappears. And so it just like, I felt like the void and then the void changed into me feeling like this roller coaster. And then I felt like I, I visited different times, different periods. I felt like I lived different lives during that trip. Um, you know, where I was living in California in one of those lifetimes and I was living on the East coast and like the fifties and one of those, and it just felt like I got to experience different versions of what reality could be. So when I came back, I was like, there's more, there's way more. It's not just don't trust anyone. It's not just men are evil. You know, <laughs> like it's not, it's none of that. It's just, I was scared and I had, I had enough reasons to be scared. I won't say that they were good reasons, but I had enough of them to warrant behavior changes. 
And, and then finally, once my perspective opened up again through the liquid acid, it was, you know, people are here to connect. The whole point of life for me is relationships, it's connections, it's friendships, it's family members, it's family members by choice, it's family members by blood. It's, you know, if you don't have meaningful relationships, then, then you might be just going through the motions. And that wasn't enough for me anymore. I didn't care that my emotions were, you know, impressive or, you know, that they made anyone feel any type of way. There was no superior, inferior between me and other people in that moment. It was just that I wanted more because I could be more and I could risk more because I had already proven to myself that I could make it through the hardest heartbreak of my life. You know, I don't think that there's ever going to be a heartbreak that's going to feel like the one with my dad. And so it's like, if we could survive that, there is fucking nothing that's going to break me. So what are we waiting for? What are we scared for? What are we like waiting for the red carpet for somebody to be like, I won't hurt you ever? Bullshit. Like, it's not about that. It's, are you willing to be vulnerable? Are you willing to put yourself out there with no control, with no expectations, and with full trust that no matter what happens, who stays or who leaves, I'll be here and I'll be okay. So I, I definitely appreciate that shroom trip um, that happened in Electric Forest because it changed. It definitely opened me up in a way that I couldn't do by myself as an intellectual. And I wasn't ready to let people in emotionally or intellectually. So I had to just like melt it away in like a huge wave almost. Yeah, that's that's powerful. I'm I'm curious about that experience. Like, so you said it was on was it acid and mushrooms? No, liquid acid. It was just a. Okay. It's like you know how they have the droppers and they fill that little that little. Um, I don't even know the little dropper that he filled it up and then dropped it in my mouth because I was being a sarcastic ass. I was like, I don't feel it. Are you so, are you sure you're selling me good shit? I might want a refund. He's like, Oh, you oh, oh you think I'm full of shit? Here you go. Here you go, filled up the entire dropper and then fucking rocked me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Honestly, I'm not <laughs> I can I can only imagine because I've I've never done acid before. So I'm not even familiar with like droppers or anything. But from my understanding, it's like usually it's one drop on a piece of paper that you put in your mouth. And so like okay. Yeah. That's yeah, that that's incredible though. And I, I guess it just goes to show like with our perception of reality. And the way that we think it is isn't ever going to be what it is, but it doesn't mean that it's not also what it is. It's just that it isn't just what it is. And and we, <laughs> you can tell I've been going through some stuff this last week, but it's uh, it's funny because for so much of our life, we we hold on to the way it is, even if it's, and I, I see that kind of in your life. 11 to 21 then it was kind of the way it was and you you were comfortable with that and then you started to see that oh it's not just this oh there's there's a lot more to this there's a lot more to this reality and this experience and maybe i'm limiting my experience as you know maybe as comfortable or or the degree of comfort that you were able to experience in all of those years there's still like a massive limitation to that. And so many of us do kind of get comfortable in a super, in a, in a specific spot, but then, you know, it's always going to be limited. And so even just being able to see subtly that there's 
there's more to this. There's more going on. I guess I'm then just curious to to continue on this path of a, um, the story of Amanda's journey after that, where things started to shake out. Like, did you come out of that and kind of go back into where you had been and and what was comfortable, or was that was there this underlying not discomfort, but just questioning that? you you weren't able to unsee after that like how how did that then shake out after going back to you know this quote-unquote reality yeah for the rest of your life yeah everything went back to normal except for my emotional like layer you know I went back to work I was working full-time going to college full-time volunteering at multiple nonprofits, and so my 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 plate was pretty full, but I came out of Electric Forest and got into my first adult relationship, my first relationship ever with, with a wonderful guy who happened to share the first name of my dad, which I thought was fucking hilarious, which is why I almost didn't date him when I first met him, because I was like, mm, this seems weird. I can't date a guy that has the same name as my dad. But then I was like, but I don't talk to him, so maybe that cancels it out, you know? <laughs> maybe you're... <laughs> Which it's all right, because at the end of the day, I was like, fuck it. I don't care how weird this looks. I I met somebody that I connected with that was so wonderful and was exactly what I needed. And so I, I got into my first relationship. We ended up moving. I moved into his house and we stood together for about three years. And then he ended up um, we ended up getting into a fight and he was like, well, say whatever you're going to say, because it's the last time you're going to say it. And I was like, oh, well, then what's the point of saying it? You want me to move out tonight? And I switched into like old gears so fast that it almost like surprised him. Like, wait, so you don't want to yell at me? And I was like, I'm upset because he had said something about my best friend. And he and anybody who knows me from a significant amount of times, like will know that there are two women that I've been best friends with from either middle school or high school. So to say anything negative against them, like, I hope that you're right. I hope that they did something that warrants criticism because if I, I used to be super critical of who I allowed into my circle and for somebody to stay in my circle for a decade, it's like, these are good quality ladies, sir. So you better be fucking sure that you're right about what you're about to say about them. And he was like, that's it. It's the last time go for it. And we ended up breaking up and I ended up finding out later that um, I was, he, I made him nervous. So he just thought that I was going to replace him with someone younger, hotter, more fun, more extroverted um, because he was he had just turned 30 and I was 23. And he said that all women change. And it's only after they turn 25 that they kind of know who they are and what they're about. And I don't want to take the chance that I spend any more time with you and you end up replacing me. And I was like, that's rich because it took me like. I don't even know how fucking long to get to this relationship. So I wasn't going to switch it out. I wasn't going to switch it out so quickly because it was so important for me to be in it. And unless you were doing something that I deemed like um, extreme, I didn't think that our problems were too big because it was just a disagreement about someone in my social circle, you know? So I, I just thought it was ironic that it was his own insecurity about me that was ending the relationship. And then I just switched gears and I just 
I moved out. I got a new, you know, just found new living arrangements, went back to work, went back to school. And, and then he, we had like an on and off thing because, because, you know, uh, everybody gets unsure after breakups. And so even though he was insecure, he still was very much, um, liked me or, or loved me or something in between. And so he wasn't sure if, if leaving me was the right thing. And I was at a place where I was very much considering getting back because I was like, you know, I still don't think that our problems were so bad that we couldn't mend things. And so I was very much on the fence with him, but then I got hurt and I had my, I fainted May 23rd, 2015 and I got hurt and I fractured my skull and it was on a visit to Austin, Texas to see him. And, and it was so severe of an injury that when I came back, I lost months of time. I, I had to relearn how to, how to speak. I had to relearn how to be present because it just, I just, I just remember feeling like connected to nothing and connected to just nothingness, like a void. Like I was just watching this character if this was a character, lay in bed, sleep, not walk, you know, have to be carried to the bathroom. I was watching this character stumble, trying to put a sentence, a basic sentence together. And it challenged everything that I thought that I was because I was experiencing Amanda without really being Amanda. And I had never had that before. And I lost hearing in my left ear. Um, but then like two months later, I made a miraculous recovery. My neurologist said that I shouldn't be able to speak, write, or, you know, you know, just not really be a hundred percent there. And somehow pieces, just pieces of Amanda started getting put back together. The story started to form again. And the story only formed again because I felt like, well, I mean, if we're watching the story, then we can get more involved in the story. And we might as well, because what are we doing? What are we just doing in this void, just watching this body sleep in a bed? Let's take the body out for a walk. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go back to work. Let's go do all these things. And so I was back to working full time, back to college full time, went to Bonnaroo after that, which I definitely, I'd say now that I shouldn't have, but it all worked out in the end because I ended up doing shrooms at the festival and I was fucking scared to do the shrooms. I was like, oh no, we've got a brain injury. This is not what people on brain injuries do. We should not be doing this. So I hid the shrooms. I hit them and I was like, oh, where did the shrooms go? Who knows? Let's go to the show. And then they freaked out. They're like, oh my God, somebody stole the shrooms. I was like, shit, shit. I got to tell them where the shrooms are. So I was like, oh, look what I found. And so I, I tried to play it off. I tried to like hide with all of my ability that I was scared and I didn't want to do the shrooms. Then we did the shrooms and I fucking was gone. I remember, I don't even know what show we were in front of, but I laid in front of that stage for probably multiple sets of fucking who knows. And I couldn't even sit. I just was like laying there and just watching everything pass by me, people, conversations, I'm hearing them. And I'm just like, man, it doesn't feel like, this doesn't feel like Amanda. This feels like we're just like, just this eye. We're just watching, we're just seeing. And yet we're watching all these things that I felt like I was. I felt like watching another person in the field have a conversation. It felt like hearing myself have that conversation. And I had no idea why it felt so familiar because I wasn't there yet, you know, where I, I still thought that I was an individual or I thought that I was like the, the, the void watching the individual, but I didn't feel like I was everyone, even though I felt very close. I felt very connected to people as I heard them. And that's why I wanted, that's what definitely inspired me to, 
to love people just for being there and being curious about them again and being curious enough to give them my time because I didn't require their trust. I didn't require them to do anything or stay or go or love me or not. I was just very interested in them. Like they were just another book on a shelf and I just wanted to read their book and then put it back on the shelf and have nothing else to do with that book other than appreciating the fact that it gave me a beautiful story to read. And so I I left that festival feeling inspired to connect again. And then that led to my next relationship and, and uh, that led to other insights. And then that, then we broke up. And so that it just, it just kept going in that way where I would find somebody who I would want to connect with. I'd learn with them. I would give more, but then I would still be triggered sometimes. And so I would do old things and be like, I can live without you. I don't need you. You know, <laughs> so it was always my record to play. It was like, I can survive. And pretty much what I was trying to remind myself was that it doesn't matter who stays and who goes, we'll survive. We can survive anything because it's always us. And I'm the reason, I guess I, I kind of felt like I was the reason why I'm here. Like I'm, I'm here to, to be there for me, to wake up with my story, to go to bed with my story, to change the story, to change this title, to add new characters, to go on new adventures, to set the scene, to change the scene, to like, it was just, it felt like my story was mine to enjoy and to share. And I could also read other stories and they could cross over and it could just be like this beautiful mess. And I didn't really have to understand what they wanted or what they needed from me. I just, I just could be, I could just hang out with them. And that felt really nice. Yeah. And knowing that you're not the story sets you free to do what you want with the story. And I wanted to talk about this very quickly because we were talking about uh, gender pronouns in a previous episode of Dualistic Unity Raw. And what we were saying was that there's nothing wrong with them. Use anyone you want, but getting too wrapped up in it sets you right back in the same problem that you were trying to escape before. And so I bring this up specifically, not because you have any specific pronouns, but because you actually decided to redesign your whole character and give yourself a new last name. (laughs) Yeah. And I wanted to bring this up because it's very much the same thing. You did so knowing that it doesn't change anything about you, but you did so thinking, why the fuck not? So I'd like, I'd like to hear a bit more about that if you don't mind. Yeah. So um, I, I just turned 31 last month, but when I turned 30 a year ago, I was like, okay, everyone's telling me that 30 is such a big number. I'm a woman. I'm 30. I'm childless. I don't have a husband. Obviously, I'm doing so many things wrong. So I was like, let's take stock. Let's take stock of what we've done. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I mean, that's what I was getting told at work. It's like, oh, man, you only, have, you only have so much time. And I was like, oh, do I? Oh, no. <laughs> so I was like, all right, let's take a look. And as I was taking a look at my life, I was like, you know, we've, we've had some very challenging moments. And we have been hurt and we have learned a lot, but we've enjoyed the ride. Like for the most part, I have very much enjoyed the ride of being Amanda or not being Amanda, but it didn't matter because I was always having fun for huge chunks of my life, you know, from zero to 11, it was so much fun because I had that structure. I had two parents, I had the, all that, right. And then it all blew up. And then that was fine because then I had really great friends and the really great friends helped me move along. And so then we, we just, we just kept going. And 
I, I always ended up enjoying the ride, no matter how hard it felt, no matter how infuriating or frustrated or pissed or unfair moments could feel under all that. I still was happy to be alive. I was enjoying being here. And, um, so when I take a, when I took a full look at 30, I was like, we did it. We fucking did it, man. Like there are things that maybe I look back and think I could have did it differently. And that's absolutely true, but I wouldn't redo anything and it's come i've come a long way to feel that way where i wouldn't go back in time if you give me a time machine i'm gonna say can we go back and just do it all over again because it was a great time like fuck yeah i, I would do this right again like why not it, it was it was good and when i was thinking about marriage and kids and husbands i was like well let's take a look at the name we do have it was amanda marie vasquez and vasquez is my father's surname and then i was like well, let's look up names. Where did names come from? Where did I have a fascination for learning for, for names and meanings? And so I, I was digging up surnames and it was like, for the most part, they have four origins. It's your occupation. It's your geography. It is your status in society. Um, or it was one more. And I'll, I forgot it, but it'll come back. And so it was like, you, it could be your occupation, like blacksmith, Mr. Blacksmith. Um, it could be, um, it could be your location, um, John Hill. John Rivers, you know, it could be geography, it could be your status, it could be, you know, um, you know, dis, dig, uh, signifying uh, royalty, it could be signifying a church status, it could be signifying a certain, um, you know, vocation. And, and then the other one was your father, that's what it was that you could be like, Philip's son, you are the son of Philip. And so your last name becomes Philipson or Jackson, you're the son of Jack. And so your name becomes Jackson. And I was like, okay, okay, this is, this is a lot of, this is a lot of um, options, but I didn't really see options that, that suited me because I, I had a family name of a family tree that wanted nothing to do with me. And then when I thought about switching to my mom's name, I was like, well, technically that's not her name. That's her dad's name. And he's a piece of shit too. So I think, I think if I could go from the son or the daughter of a piece of shit or the granddaughter of a piece of shit, I think I'll skip both those names. How about we just come up with something from scratch and we'll just do something that signifies something that we like, you know, and it's just, it's all labels. It's all bullshit anyway. So it wasn't like I was trying to become a new person. It's just that I wanted to take ownership of my story in a way that I hadn't been able to before. And names are so important because they, they, they're telling you the history of your, of your patriarchal line. And I wanted, I wanted something that was more woman oriented because I love, I am grateful. I appreciate that. I enjoy being a um, cisgendered straight woman, you know? So the, the story that I got as a kid from society never bothered me. And I don't know why it never bothered me, but it just happened to not bother me. And then I just made it work. And that's pretty much the whole thing for that. And, but then I wanted my name to be a little bit more of like my inspiration. What, what are the things that I enjoy? And I loved, I've always loved ancient Greek culture. I've always loved the, the stories of the myths of the gods and the goddesses. And uh, then I'm just playing with different names. It probably took me a few months to go through different options. And then I ended up picking 
uh, a two-part last name and von is uh, v-o-n is a german prefix that means originating from and then i picked hera the greek goddess of women childbirth and marriage and i made it you know von hera and I, what i thought was hilarious was that i ended up keeping my same initials so vasquez and von both start with v von hera and vasquez both have seven letters so I kept it the same amount of letters, the same beginning, and Vasquez and Von Hera share four letters. So I really only changed three letters from my old name, and just changing those three letters cost me a thousand bucks and a few court appearances. And I had to become my own attorney because I had to have court daddy approve my name change. You know, I had to, they had to give me permission to change my name. And on one level, I get the red tape. They had to make sure that I'm not trying to fool the public. I'm not trying to say that I'm a Kardashian all of a sudden and that, or a Stallone, you know, I could say I'm Amanda Stallone. And then I, people could interpret that like I'm Sylvester Stallone's daughter or family member or something like that. And they have to make sure that you're not avoiding taxes, debts, penalties, crimes, punishment, and that you're not trying to trick the public. And, and so I said that in my paperwork, I was like, look, I, I have the name of a man who wants nothing to do with me and a family that I'm not connected to. And all it reminds me of is the space that they don't want to fill. And I'm okay with that because what they taught me was that I'm the source and that I don't have to seek anything from them or from anyone. So really they gave me the greatest gift. And with that gift, I would like to redefine my story. And I have a love of ancient history. And so I'm, I thought it might as well pick something that is for women, by women, all about women, you know? And it finally got approved and it really just felt it just felt like taking ownership of the story and, and, and creating separation between me and the story because I knew that at any moment I could change the story again. So how close am I to these labels? If at any minute I can change the first, middle, last name, I can change the, I can change everything. So I felt more detached from it, but I also felt closer to it at the same time. And so now I have a very dualistic kind of experience with my labels because I love them more and I feel less in need of them. Yeah. Well, it's funny because we're born without a label, right? And then other people give us those labels. I think it might actually be more powerful for us to pick our own after a certain age, get to a certain age. It's what should we call you now? Right. That would make a lot more sense. It's funny because uh, thinking about last names, another thing that sometimes influenced what you would be called would be who owned you. So for example, if your last name was like Andrews, that's because you were a serf or rather your family were serfs and they were, they were owned by a guy named Andrew. So you are Tom Andrews. You belong to Andrew. So that was one of the things that, that changed us as well, but it's just a name, you know, it's your character. It's just like playing a video game. You may as well, you know, suit it up the way that you want to. But I really <laughs> do think it's so funny because the reason it's so hard to change our name is because we're in admiralty law. Every vessel in admiralty law must have a name. You can't go into the ocean without your boat being named, right? And so they have to identify you in order to say that you're a part of the system. And so it's so interesting that you go in, you're like, I'd like to change my name and you have to get this approval for something that was never actually your name to begin with. It's just the corporation that you have to use in order to interact with the world has to have a name. And so you have to go through this whole process of very much like changing your business name because that's what it is. Yeah, it's it's funny when when you start seeing things like that and recognize the the corporate structure of reality 
in a way. It's kind of kind of wild, but at the same time, if you understand it and aren't naive to it, you can you can begin to shift it and kind of like infiltrate it from the inside. And I, I see that in your expression early on, Amanda, of talking about understanding the system allows you to work within it. And we have a lot of people hold on to this mentality that, you know, the system's broken, like, fuck the system. I, I, I'm not going to be part of the system. And that is another side of pushing off responsibility for the recognition that we are the system like as much as the the broader mentality of the system may not match up with our individual mentality it's still a projection of me of the the truth of me at the end of the day and so i think being able to kind of come full circle and a lot of people will get caught up in like the fuck the system thing but then recognize that that's only adding distortion and that's only kind of perpetuating the system, like the frustration that comes with that kind of fuels it in a way. And so it's it's really cool talking to you and especially your understandings of the system. It's like, of course, fucking perfect for our situation now is all of the work you've done kind of being a part of the system and even going through your teenage years kind of using it and, and having the more egotistical drivers of accomplishing things were exactly where you needed to be the entire time, whether you knew it or not. It's like you almost had to be in that mentality to learn and understand all the things that you did so you could let it go and now be where you're at right now with all of the knowledge still there, but just that shift mentality that now allows you to almost like plug it in to a new type of system that's being grown within the system and so i don't i don't have like a question or anything but i just it's an observation (laughs) and i'm very excited and it's just fun to see again like how perfectly seamless all of this has been for you to now be here and and talking with us now and even you know beyond all of the things you're going to do to help progress dualist unity, sharing all of your perspectives here in in the meat and thick of what dualist unity is, just being the conversation is sharing everything that you've been through and all of the ups and downs that you've had in your life will inevitably have a massive ripple on everyone who listens to this, anyone who comes across this over you know the next hundreds of years to come is that your story is now echoing in eternity and allowing for people to pull what they will from it. And now it's an opportunity to, again, shift reality in the specific you know, environment of this episode, but also in the broader landscape of the entire conversation as a whole. So it's I don't know, pretty fucking cool. <laughs> I agree. And I want to say something very quickly, Amanda, because I don't know if I've ever had the opportunity to express this to you, but you have such an impact on dualistic unity just in your conversations on Discord and your conversations with everybody in Patreon and whatnot, but also specifically and directly on me. Like, I'm not going to lie. The fact is, is that talking to you about your life, about the things you've been through, about some of the things that you've faced in terms of challenges, 
there's a lot that resonates with my story. There's a lot that resonates with things that I've faced and, and the way that I had to do it. And so there have been times going through something in my head where I've actually thought to myself, Amanda would do this. And I would act, <laughs> like, I'd actually think to myself about your character and the things that you faced in your life. And it inspires me and it's helped me through a few moments of just wondering like, Jesus, what do we do next? How do I move forward? And it's like, right, I don't need to worry about that. Just continue on. And that's something that you and I talked about at the retreat a lot. And it hit deep. It really did affect me in a lot of ways. And so I just wanted to say, just keep being you because ultimately you're doing exactly everything that you're supposed to do. And isn't it funny that often that's the case and we just don't see it. We just don't recognize that all the shit that we're going through will eventually lead us to that hidden pony that left all that shit behind, right? Like that's the whole point is that there's, there is a journey that we're on and that journey could be going anywhere, but we get so caught up in thinking about ourselves that it actually limits the journey. And so I just wanted to say, Amanda, I don't know what circumstances or happenstance or miracle brought you to dualistic unity, but I appreciate the fact that you are here and I appreciate the fact that you have helped it grow consistently since you joined us and you will continue to do so. I have no doubt. Yeah. I, I am as great as the place, you know, and I, I really appreciate both what you and Andrew just said, um, because it echoes how I feel, you know, I've, I have been searching, I've been searching both for myself and for a place that I could be myself or be this character in a way that didn't take away anything from anyone. Um, and so it feels so good. It feels so incredibly good to be in this community, to have these conversations with you, to be on this podcast episode, to be experiencing the things that I never allowed myself to dream about. Not, not like they were real, you know, like I had like a fantasy, like maybe, maybe this place is real. Maybe those people are out there, but it was always like a pipe dream. Like, you know, like maybe, or maybe it's just another fantasy, you know, and to actually experience it. That's why it's, it, it feels like I get to experience the experiences that I always dreamed about. You know, I get to, I get to love from a place that I have been longing to, to give from for a long time. And um, I really liked what you had said in some other location, some other video somewhere where you were like, um, I experienced it so that other people don't have to. And so it finally feels like all those all those hard nights, all those challenging days that still come, all those old insecurities, all those old fears and doubts that still come to visit me every now and again, they're all worth it. And especially if I can help somebody avoid a tough moment that I have firsthand experience with, or if I can help somebody who's going through something similar right as they're going through it to get them through it faster, then it just it makes it all worthwhile. And I'm so glad that it's finally in a place where it's worthwhile, where it's not like we just survived and, you know, kudos to me. Where's my pat on my back for myself? Like I made it through and I didn't get crushed and great for me, you know, but it's more than that. And that's what this place, that's what, that's what you and Andrew and every single person in our community gives me. And that's why, you know, in, um, in my personal life, I had, I had said to someone, I was like, um, I don't ask you about anything or I don't ask you for anything because you already gave me what I would have asked for. 
which is acceptance, unconditional acceptance. And there's really not much more than I need outside of that. And for someone to just give that to me, for a community to give that to me, that is not a dream come true. It feels like a miracle, almost like a miracle after everything we've experienced because it still gets tough. But I'm glad that there's more than just toughness. There's more than just making it through. It's like there's magic again. Yeah, absolutely. You get it. You get through all of that dark stuff to be the light yourself. And I, I just want to say again, I'm very grateful to everything that you bring the community. I'm very grateful that I've been a part of and Andrew's been a part of the community coming together that you frankly deserve. And that so many of us do deserve. There is so much ahead of us as we move together through this. And I'm very, very excited about it. I just want to say, I know we have to wrap up shortly, but Amanda, I'm, I'm so excited that you were able to join us as a guest today. I do want to mention to everybody who's listening to this, if you would like to chat with Amanda, join us on Discord, join us on Patreon, or even better, come to a retreat because she's amazing. She's great to talk to. She's very insightful. And you're only catching a very small glimpse of how much insight she really has access to in this episode. And I'm glad that we were able to share that with you. I'll pass it back to Andrew. Yeah, that that recognition that everything you've ever gone through was was worthwhile for where you're at right now. Fucking powerful one. That's I feel like that's been something we've kind of been talking about or touching around a little bit in the last week or so and you've been a part of some of those conversations on patreon as well but it's it's fucking awesome it's like got to be one of the most relieving and powerful and incredible experiences that you can or, or feelings that you can have after going through any degree of darkness or suffering to kind of come out the other end and be like, Oh, it was, there was not that a, a reason, but it happened and it wasn't not supposed to happen, but it, it happened. And now I'm able to do something with it and actually have an impact and, and shift on reality. And so, yeah, just to reiterate, Ray, and I'm very grateful. I'm, I, get excited to chat with you when you hop on patreon and the calls i'm like let's fucking go amanda's on this is gonna be a fun <laughs> fun chat <laughs> especially that one we had last friday when i was like fucking tripping my balls off just like talk, talking through all the stuff we were talking through that was a lot of fun and after that i was like oh man i'm pumped for this episode and it's been it's been incredible amanda you're incredible i can't even begin to express how grateful i am that you're a part of our community and willing to take the time to be involved in all of this. It means a lot to me and I'm excited to see where this fucking rocket ship goes. Cause it's going to be a fun journey. Inevitably. <laughs> Fuck yes. I am thrilled. I'm so beyond thrilled to be a part of this. And so um, I love the advice that Ray gave me during one of our chats where he's like, I know you're not going to listen, but slow and steady. And I was like, you're right. I probably won't listen, but only because it's a it's a it's a, a work of love. It is it's coming from a place where it's like infinite inspiration and amazing just fuel. And I have I have so much energy and so much capacity and availability and to finally have a place where it can just be a, a contribution where it's not to get anything. It's not a means to an end. It's literally the means is the end, you know, and I've 
very rarely been in a position to experience that. And so I am so grateful and so appreciative of this opportunity. And I am thrilled to connect and to share and to grow and to fucking blast through ceilings, walls, barriers. Like, let's fucking do this shit. Light that TNT, motherfucker. We are blowing this shit up, you know? <laughs> but there might be some paperwork I need you to sign after we blow shit up, you know? So it's like a balance. <laughs> Absolutely. This is going to be an exciting, exciting journey together. It's funny because I've often said to you that, especially given the life that you've gone through and I've gone through and many of our listeners have gone through that we have to go through the fire in order to be forged like steel. On the same token, it's that fire that lights you. So you shine brighter than that fire ever did for the rest of your life once you're through it. And Amanda, you're a perfect example of that. You're a perfect example of somebody who's gone through some shit, took everything that she could from it, and she's bringing all of that benefit to the world. And we're grateful to be a part of that. We are going to wrap up here. Thank you, dear listener, for joining us. Um, We will, of course, be back next week. We did just release a Dualistic Unity movie review episode about Scrooge. Go and check it out as soon as you can. Amanda, thanks so much. We'll see you all next week. Bye, everyone.